Hello, and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Dr. Berg with Dr. Johnson and <clears throat> soon to be doctor, someday Dr. Oakland. Lord willing. Um, I, I'm, I'm not the low man on the totem pole for a little bit, so I'm going <laughs> to, until you get your PhD and jump me, I am going to, um, I'm going to, I'm just going to live it. Yeah, Mike's been being pretty hard on Jason. I've been trying to (laughs) really alleviate that and welcome him. Uh, And we are glad to have him. Be very attendant to his needs Mm -hmm. or emotions. We are glad to have him, especially in this Luther series, this Winging It series on the life and thought of Martin Luther. I would say, though, some of the things you've been doing, like almost border on hazing. Hazing, (laughs) yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yep, that was me. That was me. Yeah. We have made... So far, I feel like I've been able to handle it. Right. Yeah. uh, (laughs) We're going to be okay. Um, We have made it to 1530 in the life of Martin Luther. Um, We had this thing called the Diet of Augsburg, another imperial diet. This one, the Lutheran uh, situation was higher up on the docket than maybe the other diets, uh, Worms and Augsburg before. So much so that that now what we would call Lutherans presented a confession now known as the Augsburg Confession. Luther was not down there because he would have been outside of the safety of Electoral Saxony. He was in uh, Coburg, up in a castle there. Uh, keeping. I hear they uh, have good sausages in Coburg. Keeping, I've not made uh, it there yet, but Thuringian sausages, right? That's the thing, Jason, mm-hmm. isn't it? It is. Keeping um, tabs on it, uh, more than just daily writing but multiple days writing and getting letters back and forth can you imagine the courier how much like man we're making a lot of money off of these guys just going right. back from Coburg yes. to Augsburg over and over again uh, the confutation from the Catholic side is presented you know what would have made that job a lot easier what? an e-bike yeah yep you know I was <laughs> so we got this guy in our neighborhood he's uh, I would say um, mid to early 60s and he flies around on this bike like I mean, jumping curbs like a teenager. Like an e-bike or a regular <laughs> no, bike? No, it's a regular bike. And Peasant. he moves. Okay. And, I mean, he is, it's dangerous. Like, okay. I, my daughter is still learning how to drive. And I saw this guy coming across 27th Street, which is a four-lane major intersection. And he is swerving in and out or whatever and not really obeying. As usual, bike people were just whatever the rules don't apply to them because automobile drivers <laughs> and, are very fastidious and um so i said this guy's coming be-, and we passed him and i said this guy's coming up and he is not going to stop he's looking for an accident trust me so let him go all the way before you get into the right hand turn lane because and sure enough and then he runs the uh a stop sign and jumps the 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 curbs on the the boulevards you know my street has a big boulevard in between mm-hmm, very nice. and then just crosses over there so just typical well it's typical of of bike people that it's kind of like the so wokeism of transportation they just <laughs> ident they're like i identify as a car i identify as a car and i can do whatever the heck i want and you need to bend to my will um identify know? as a car when it's convenient for when me. it's convenient for them right that's, yeah. that's it's as legally if, they are considered yeah. the same as a car it's as if it's as if it's as if um bikes um came first before cars as we all know bikes were invented much later by hippies one day michael you're going to go riding with me um when i finally get you guys to join the trinities t-r-i-n-i-t-e for e-bikes because we're a christian biker gang and i decided today too we're not going to have jackets we're going to get personalized sweater vests okay 
This is Jason likes sounded, it. Yeah, it sounded great. That would complete the picture. That would complete the package. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna track down this guy. Although he just seems to be angry and has a death wish. I've seen him multiple times now. I'm gonna get his number because I think you guys would get along. He would totally wear a sweater vest. Well, good. Yeah. So we're in fifteen. Uh, fifteen thirty. Coming off the Augsburg uh, confession. We had this messenger going back and forth from Cobra to Augsburg on, on an e-bike. <laughs> on an e-bike. Very good. Um, and. Uh, things are okay. There's really now not going to be. I mean, you have Regensburg. There's really not going to be much hope of any kind of reconciliation. So there's that, um, military and political that issues. That is officially the name of Jason Dale's high school's team. Um, their rival is Regensburg, but it's spelt like Ronald Reagan. Oh yeah, mm. and um, <laughs> I think that I think the team, which won the league championship last year, if I was correct. I think you're right. Um, had T-shirts made, you know, like there, yep. and they're like, "Reconciliation is not an option." <laughs> was their motto that year? The, uh, it's a good one. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a meeting at Torgau between John the Steadfast. Am I right? And then Philip of Hesse. When does John the Steadfast pass away? We should we should play out the John the Steadfast. You didn't is, say you're going to throw me curveballs. I'm today. sorry. 1532. I 1532. Believe. So John the Steadfast and Philip of Hesse, who we've I believe we've done episodes on both of those yep. men, powerful princes. Probably would you say the two most powerful princes at the time? At least um, German land princes. Landgraven prince, yeah. So um, they are going to form a defensive alliance, and uh, John Frederick the magnanimous, uh, the son of, of John, the steadfast, is eventually going to take over for his father when his father passes away in a couple of years. So we had this Torgal meeting, and then um, that's in October. In December of 1530, um, you have the beginnings of meetings at Schmalkald, uh, which is really going to lead to this defensive alliance that's going to last for, for a while. So I, I've done my duty to set that up. Um, where would you guys like to take this? Um, Can I show you something I have now? You bet. Ooh. See look this? at that. It is a green, it's a uh, large book, probably about 800 pages, green cover. With um, German all over it. German, the, the Schmalkaldic League, or Bund. Their Schmalkaldische Bund. Yeah. <clears throat> this is a... And you read all of that in preparation of this. This is very impressive tabs on it mm-hmm. this is from grad work but okay. i did read all of it <clears throat> um but uh it is a very good book on the small cultic league but i would recommend to those interested especially to my two colleagues in here in english um she has a nice little journal article journal article the same author gabriel haug moritz hmm. um the holy roman empire the small cult league and the idea of confessional nation building uh, so an interesting read. Um, and then I half read, only got halfway through from the Concordia Theological Monthly by Theo Hoyer in 1952. Can anybody name anything that happened in 1952? I'm trying to think. Was that Korean War yet? Yep. That would still be Korean. Okay, so I'll go with that. But the rise and fall of the Schmal Cultic League, the Treaty of Passau, 1552. I think that was a hotly contested mayoral election in Jasondale, where <laughs> oh. a Lutheran almost was elected over the uh, Episcopalian, but narrowly, what, narrowly What defeated. kind of Lutheran? Oh, you know, was it that from, was... Was it one of the Agony of Sorrows, Garden of Distress, or Gethsemane? That was... The th- 
protestant, the CLC. There, and the there is a, there is a lot of you know turmoil going on back. So I don't I don't remember exactly which church where that which <coughs> synod that church was in at that moment. By the way, um, Korean warriors. 1950 to 1953 began June 25th, 1950. Really? So, uh, exactly. 400, am I getting my right? 420 years yeah. after the Augsburg Confession. So there, yeah. It's good to keep in mind. Yep. All right. The, uh, so the Schmalkaldic League is meant to be a defensive alliance. Um, and it needs to... Uh, so if one if if one of the group gets attacked, the whole group gets attacked. Right, yeah. but they don't plan to do attacking. Although eh, they'll get involved in a little bit of stuff, um, in Fusen, um, that maybe is a little offensive. Um, but uh, it's meant to be a defensive league, and the reason they feel the need to form it is Charles has had some victories on the continent continental stage, right? And it appears he may be getting in a position to be able to finally focus on the, uh, I guess what he would have called the the Lutheran problem, or however he might have put it. Um, we've said before we shouldn't be too hard on Charles. Um, Charles sees this as part of his job as being Holy Roman Empire to maintain um, the purity of faith and teaching in his uh, in his realm. Uh, but this is going to be a defensive alliance, and a defensive alliance that is going to uh, expect some degree of theological agreement. So this is a confessional alliance uh, as well. And so we, we see an interplay here of church and state. Um, and it's an alliance of territories that are Protestant, um, and yet it recognizes that the task of defending those territories— um, or the task of taking up arms is not given to just every individual to decide, but is given to these secular rulers um, who see part of the task of their rule, one of the tasks of their rule being to defend their subjects, especially <clears throat> um, to defend their subjects um, should they be persecuted or attacked on account of their their faith. Um, this meeting then, it's going to be the Schmalkaldic League will be named after um, this meeting that they're going to have in, uh, I, you've been there too, I think, Jay. Yeah. Did we go there together? We went there together. Um, I keep getting uh, mixed up where all we went on that trip. But um, medium-sized town today, I would guess, mm -hmm. was kind of the vibes I got when I was there. Yep. Worth not, visiting. Not real big. It's yeah. a neat neat place because most of the, it, it survived the, the wars and has a lot of the half-timber type of yep. architecture and stuff that's still left there and really a beautiful little town in that regard yeah, yeah. no i was glad that we stopped i think that's the only time i've been there is when we went um but so it's this uh smaller town at that time called schmall calden and the de the recess of the diet of augsburg we've talked about the recess which basically was the emperor and the majority of landed estates saying um the lutherans are wrong basically right <clears throat> and they need need to have this period of time to fall in line um the Lutheran princes are going to meet about a month after that. So the recess is of, uh, happens November 19th of 1530. And then they're going to meet the Lutheran princes and delegates in Schmalkald on December 22nd through 31st of 1530. Quite the way to spend a Christmas. Yeah. Um, but that tells us perhaps something about the sense of immediacy that they, urgency that they had, um, that they too choose to meet at that time. 
um, in Schmalkalden. And, and so I think it know. just speaks to the like they're fully expecting military action coming from from Charles when this when this deadline expires. Yep. You know, they're they're fully expecting get ready because here comes the army. And from um, other German right uh, princes and uh, landgraves or whatever dukes we want to say uh, that it that it already formed alliances before this. Right. There had been previous leagues formed. Um, the Torgau League will be a bit of an answer to that, and Schmalkaldum will flow out of that. Um, but alliances that had already been formed that would have been viewed as threats. Um, so these territories are going <clears> to <throat> come together, these Lutheran territories, to form the Schmalkald League. Um, and key to their ex- key to what they're trying to do will be the constitutional argument that basically um, the empire uh, in the... Uh, the German nation, and it's interesting. The Hogmorts is a piece that would be we could t- talk more about sometime. But she points out it's really in 1492 that you begin to see things appear that talk about the German nation, um, this sense of Germanness growing. Uh, that the that the the territories in Germany <coughs> form a kind of loose federation, which the emperor is head of because he's allowed to be, and that. Um, he was overstepping his bounds, especially by trying to step into matters of religion, and that they then had a constitutional um, right, and they would say, I think, even a duty to protect their subjects should he overstep. Um, once again, it's not a great comparison, um, but we write states in America can sue the federal government if they think the federal government is overstepping its bounds. Um, if if we thought there was a threat of violence um, from the federal government, right, states then forming a, wanting to defend themselves would be a similar thing. And have and have a guard, right, a, a state guard that they can. And, and Cohen's, this question of can, uh, uh, the, can the prince, what is the duty of the prince to its, its subject to protect? You know, when and where does that happen? I think coincides to can a Christian rebel you know, that's kind of the flip side of it. Can the Christian rebel against the emperor? Can the Christian rebel against the prince? Um, and that's not, not always an easy easy question to, to answer, right? And so I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, the feeling, the general feeling of the Schmal Caldic League and then going further into the 17th century is, at least from the Protestant side, the Lutheran Protestant side is, we don't rebel, but we are have every right to protect ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a constitution, not just, this is not just, I'm pulling stuff from the Bible that says we should not rebel, and but obey God rather than men. But there's a constitution in the Holy Roman Empire, the German nation, that pretty much solidifies that, that idea. Now, what, it, you know, sometimes a good offense is a Good defense, right? Yep. Um, so, I mean, I'm not saying it's as clear-cut as that, but just to bring up that in the background, too, is can a Christian rebel? In this particular case, can the can a, a follower of Luther or the, or the Reformation rebel against the Roman Catholic state? Does that make sense? Yeah, and look at this. In this very heavy book, you guys would describe it as, as big. Yes. Look at this nice. Got a map set of maps wow. nice. for the Schmal Caldic League in the back. So if we have any questions about geography, let me know. 
Yeah, that's and, impressive. Uh, Although the map, I would, I was hoping for a little bit bigger map, given the size of the book. Yeah, but, but it's nice. It's got a little plastic thing in the back, and yeah. you can get the more books should have that, hmm. like a little surprise in the plastic in them. That would be nice in the back. Uh, Michael, Jason, um, is this? How would the Small Caldic League apply to uh, Christianity today? Should Christians, um, should they feel threatened by the state? Is this where they take up arms, they form a militia? Um, how, how do we compare these? What should we keep in mind if we want to compare the situations? Well, at first glance, I don't. it's very hard to compare the two situations because of the difference culture and um, policies and politics that are uh, of the two times um, it, w- it would be a little unheard of for uh, the the governor of New Mexico to say that one of his top priorities is to protect um, Christendom um, although you know who in Mexico might be the one who could convince him friend of the show Brewer Erickson yeah. down there so but and and I'm not saying that that the the governor of New Mexico, for example, may say I I do have the duty to protect um, the free exercise of religion, right. right? But for Philip of Hesse or the King of England or the Elector of Saxony or the Emperor, um, that would have been one of their major things to defend the Christian faith, right? right? And in a more uh, corporate level rather than an individual right level and so that was it wasn't a question of whether i get involved in the defense of the church and the defense of of what we would call quote unquote christendom I, and, and, and it, it's just, a matter of what no keep theology, going but just yeah. briefly mike you answered that in part by you went right to a governor right a lawfully an office holder yeah. right part of that is the only way we can even try to make any comparisons is it has to be legitimate office, secular yeah. rulers. This is not something given to every Christian or the church. Right. Yeah, sorry, but keep going. No, that's, that's, that's a really good point. So um, I, I think the only connection you could make is, you know, that does, does the, according to our constitution in the United States, does the governor, does the um, district attorney, does the, you know, attorney general, the president, the Senate have a duty to protect the the individual rights of somebody to exercise their religion? The answer is yes. That that's but but they're not going to get involved in uh, confessional stances, right? So to to join the Schmalkaldic League, you had to um, confess the Augsburg Confession, and didn't they open it up to a Reformed Confession eventually as well? Um, I think it was one maybe of the that territories. was later. Um, um, I think you, I think it was maybe more that, or, and, and unless you're thinking of something different, I know, um, Booser in the South worked really hard to, to bring some of those maybe squishier, more reformed yeah. leaning to subscribe to Augsburg. Yeah. But whether that, yeah, I, I don't know if that's quite what you're thinking about or, or that plays into the Wittenberg Concord too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and th- we should tell our listeners that this Schmalkaldic Bunt is, it's, over, it's over 10 years that exists, correct? I mean, so we're talking about the very beginnings here. The point what I'm, I'm trying to make is that it would be really crazy for us to say, yes, the New Mexican governor has 
the duty to protect the free exercise of the Roman Catholic Church, but not any other church. That would be, but this is a situation of where the the governor, the governing magistrate, has to actually do theology, which is, the, yeah. I think, the hugest difference. Yeah. I think <clears throat> I'm I'm going to say I think that the, the especially the thing that stands out there is what Wade had mentioned earlier that this is going to be there's going to be some expectation of theological agreement where that would not necessarily be a play you know today you wouldn't think it'd just be yeah we were standing on the principle of this uh, the other thing I, I think that speaks maybe to today is you know they they weren't saying hey you can't pick on us just because we're lutheran but what they're saying i think the the big part of their argument is this to turn military for the emperor to take up arms and attack citizens of the empire this is a problem mm-hmm. constitutionally this is a problem and and i think one of the things that is um that speaks to today is that they're exploring every avenue of um recourse that they have before coming to armed conflict i think this idea that they uh you know luther had written his warning and some of the other things that are being written about this uh i think to try to say hey this is you know let's make sure that we're all on the same page and understand what scripture teaches about some of these things and educate um the powers that be so to speak this is what we are about and not not what we're trying to do with this um, and then you have the any number of court cases that are brought into the imperial courts which again charles to his credit takes seriously and um and and that's part of when they when they kind of come to a, a resolution of this immediate conflict in the early 1530s that's a big part of the agreement is to say we're gonna we're gonna put press pause on all these court cases uh, until we can kind of come to resolution there, and Charles, and and again, Charles, to his credit, is saying you're saying a, you, we need a council to figure this out. Um, until a council can rule on this, let's press pause on that. And I think um, that's something that speaks to us um, today. Is say you know this absolutely should be the last resort, um, and to explore all those other legal avenues before anything would would come of that and i think they're by necessity preparing for what they think is you know an immediate armed attack coming very soon so and and you bring up a good point in there that i had forgot to bring up before in addition to the constitutional argument this will be part of the argument that they'll make as a rationale for the defensive alliance is that the um they had uh promised or the emperor charles v Right, the deal was, we'll wait until there's a council. And the fear was Charles was going to act, and he did act before a council would take place. There was a, there was no council of Trent, and so this was, in their view also, um, this would have been an action that was not in the spirit um, of what had been agreed upon between the emperor and the princes. Mike, what do you have? I've been distracted. We're uh, welcoming to the studio Pastor John Bordelin, who just happened to be at the hospital across the street and apparently came in. And uh, he said, where are you guys? It's office hours. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we're recording. So uh, he came in to wow us about the Schmalkaldic League. (laughs) What do you got? Pastor (laughs) Bordelin doesn't have anything on the top of his head on the Schmalkaldic League. So um, uh, maybe to keep it going a little bit, what is the Roman Catholic 
reaction to this. Um, if there's going to be a defensive alliance between countries, um, you know, think of World War II, right? Uh, you know, these defensive alliances uh, start World to form. you mean? Or one or two, that then there's going to be defensive alliances on the other side, right? So that um, you're not standing alone. You're not the last, you're not the, the kid uh, when the music stops with no chair to sit. Kind of thing. So what's the Roman Catholic response to this? Well, I think, especially politically, there's concern that um, this is becoming quite a potential force, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. The, uh, the longer it goes, the more strength and momentum the, the Lutherans pick up, uh, the, the leak grows in and, those years. And eventually, right, uh, uh, this can be uh, when they're looking for troops to defend uh, the eastern border of Christendom against the Turks— this is a league that they can negotiate with, an emperor can negotiate with, correct? Yep. You know, so it's uh, instead of, it's actually pro- probably beneficial in some ways, instead of having to negotiate with every little prince, I mean, there's already a somewhat of a consolidation there. I think just, you know, a couple of things too that, you know, you mentioned like the Turk, but there's a lot of um, inter intra-European conflicts and politics that are going on right now too that, that really diverts the the emperor's attention away from this, and you know, I think kind of just in that interim from this immediate this immediate um, problem, given that the the ultimatum and the recess that he put in put into place in Augsburg is about to expire, uh, that how are we going to resolve that? But then I think the the growing problem of now there's this larger force, which in some ways is a benefit, but certainly is a, a challenge. Um, I think initially, you know, his response with that is, well, we need to bring this to resolution. So we need to get to a council, which the Pope doesn't like. And now the Pope is looking for allies to take up arms against the emperor. You know, so you see some of these sort of things and, and he has to, to deal with that. Finally, they say, though, or he says, well, let's at least get to the di- a diet and get to a Reichstag and then um which happens in Nuremberg about a year later I think in 1532 um where they kind of come to this agreement um but then after this the emperor has to leave and go deal with some of these things and that gives the Lutherans again a bit of breathing room and again to Charles credit he lets the deadline expire without taking up arms and he continues to deal with these guys diplomatically rather than militarily. And, and the Peace of Nuremberg was that then, so that's uh, July 1532, I believe. Is that at the Diet, the you Imperial believe, Diet? You believe you just looked it up? I bet you just well, I believe it. as in like I just looked and then I forgot three okay. seconds later. Um, so is that at the that Imperial Diet that you were talking about or was that later? I'm pretty sure that is. That is the diet that they that they come to that agreement, and I, I think it was in Nuremberg. I think that's the one. Unless, Wade, you have and better that, information then, there. Um, I could consult my... Ginormous Big tome of book. knowledge, but Charles V basically is going to allow another temporary toleration, right? Yes, uh, he's not going to crack down, even though he has the legal right to, according to. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, and then right after that, John the Steadfast dies. So you lose one of your two, and probably perhaps the wiser of the two leaders. Mm-hmm. John Frederick is going to be just more aggressive by nature, yeah. more outspoken, and a younger and and thoroughly thoroughly Lutheran, right? Um, he's a young G. Yeah, you know, not an old guy. Yeah, not an OG. 
hot-blooded youth. Um, the the schmo. What is it? Luther says he says the the sins of youth are is it Lustig or Brunstig? It's Brunstig, right? The burning in your heart. Mm, that sounds right. And then, uh, kind of the the full of piss and vinegar thing. Yeah. And then uh, the sins of the old age. I think he says Lustig for that, which is would be desire or lust, but that you know. However, I can't remember the exact wording, but it basically means you get old and you don't have energy for all the sins you'd really like right. to still commit, so you just begrudge the youth having them. So, Which is true. Yeah. Because I... Uh, that's just, one of the problems of being around young people is I see their energy. I'm like, man, I remember when I was young. But you know what I did a lot of with my energy when I was young? Studied. I sinned. <laughs> so it's probably good I don't have as much energy because I... I sin way less now, Michael. Which is actually a, a good thing, and we—I know that I. I don't really sin I, less. I, I bring good. it up to our students: is that you don't. It's the whole idea. Like you're not going to. You're probably nearly not. If you think you're going to reform yourself or mature yourself out of sin, you probably have just. You probably—it's delusional. You just have different sins. Um, Although, and you and yeah. you'd rather take a nap than do the sins that you actually want. I to do, do feel like when we were young, we did do more of the. There was more of the high energy sins. I feel like technology has really shifted to where oh, sure. even sure. the youth now aren't committing as much of the high energy. They're just on their they're just on their phones. Right. Um, it doesn't take as much energy to sin. Like we had that we had a planet. Right. We had a planet and execute the planet. To be fair, we also didn't have like where our parents could like check our location based right. on our cell phone and stuff. Or can or, you imagine just that alone? How that would have impacted our youth if or, our parents could check our location. Or even parents that cared to check our location, right? <laughs> well, because they trusted yeah. Right, that they the trusted us because we were good. Okay, so... Uh, that, was, uh, that was before the world became unsafe. Right. Um, we were just worried about atomic bombs and... Duck and cover. Yeah, duck and cover. We knew how to do that. Although, if you consider... I was talking to my students today, and like... So, they've had recessions, plagues, whatever... Like, really, the two big things I can think of from my, like, young to their age was basically Monica Lewinsky and then uh, um, OJ. We had it pretty good. Yeah, yeah we, we did. did. I mean, the 87 recession wasn't as big as 2008. Uh, the epidemics um, were f- were f- other people, yeah. <laughs> not not us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Schmuck called the league. Can I ask one question? Uh, how does the Schmalkald articles fit into this, Wade? Well, when they fear Luther's going to die, because there's several times it seems like he's going to die, they want a last um, confession um, from him that could be used uh, as a um, means to, uh, <clears throat> if there were a council, to take their stand in that regard. But also, uh, they are a document that can be used uh, to see, uh, this is where there needs to be points of agreements uh, among territories if they're going to be considered. So it would Lutheran. have been a litmus test of sorts for the Schmalkalda right. League, but it doesn't really. And it, and, it, and, it, and and functionally, I don't know that it really. I mean, it's never going to outstrip the Augsburg Confession, um, partly just because the Schmalkalda Articles didn't thrill everyone. Even Melanchthon thought Luther was a bit blunt, mm-hmm. but. And it does not. Ex- it's not really. Gets confessional status until 1580 uh, with the book Concord or, or somewhere yeah, a little bit later. It will so. be, and even then, right, it's still, you have the, the treatise on the primacy, power and primacy of the Pope included with it, which is a little bit of hedging things. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, it's never going to arise to the point of Augsburg Confession, but it'll have a function. So I think this gets us... It's unique um, in a way and that it's definitely the most individual confession of all the confessions. The catechisms are written by Luther, but they're written by Luther for the church, and he's drawing on catechetical resources that existed. The Augsburg Confession, while Melanchthon writes it, is definitely a group work. Um, Even the Apology, while is also somewhat of an individual one, it's done on behalf of the prince's... Um, you know, this will be Luther's confession. And you can, if if you've never read, uh, you know, Luther outside of the catechisms or maybe even some of his early thesis, this gets you closer to his style of writing than than the catechisms or the ninety five thesis. It's not as wide open, perhaps, like the Babylonian captivity of the church, but you can tell there's a personality behind it. Yeah. For better or worse. And he thinks he might be dying. This is what he wants to emphasize. So um, we have a couple things that we could uh, we could mention, um, or I, I should say take up next. We could have uh, John Frederick the Magnanimous um, is something that we, we probably could take up next um, because John the Steadfast does pass away. And so we're in the early 1530s here. Um, I think we're just about done uh, in this episode, giving you hopefully a decent overview of where this Schmalkaldic League comes. Uh, we will come back to the Schmalkaldic League. They, this is kind of setting the stage. Um, there's going to be a Schmalkaldic War, right? Um, and, and we'll be dealing with that eventually. But uh, a little bit of a transition here, right, from Augsburg. You have the, lo- the loss of that generation, uh, John, uh, John the Steadfast. There's going to be new blood in, in Electoral Saxony. The military threat is soon not going to be just a threat. It's going to be an actual issue. And along those lines, right, Philip of Hesse had kind of, it was good that there were people to hold him up somewhat, Frederick the Wise and and, and then John. Um, You're going to get it. That's not going to be John Frederick's gift, Mm -hmm. right? We'll play in. Yeah, so I think uh, we'll talk off air here what our next episode is, but we'll probably maybe do to – uh, John Frederick. Uh, we got the Siege of Munster, too, coming up. That will be a fun one. So we do have some exciting things, even though we're, we're well beyond 15, uh, 17, 18, 19, and 1520, uh, and, and Worms in 1521, but there's still some exciting action. Uh, so we hope that you will stay with us. And you should go back and listen to, we mentioned Philip of Hesse, and uh, um, if you haven't listened to that one, go back, because do you remember that uh, session? Michael, uh, there was a lot of scandal in there. It in is fact, a... In fact, they kept saying scandal. Yeah. Scandal. It was scandalous, yeah. Um, and he said he said his wife smelled and she yeah. was an alcoholic. It was... And she... There were some details... Was not warm with him. There were some details in there that other episodes have not had the same rawness to. Yeah. Right, so. That was a good one. Um, so, yeah, go back and listen to John Steadfast, I feel like Steadfast I had some too. good jokes in that one. Yeah, you did. It was an excellent one. Uh, the other one is John Steadfast. Go, you can certainly go There's back and listen to him. Less scandal, but just as important. So, uh, we hope that you will come back, hopefully, probably for John Frederick, um, or something else. We'll see. Until then, let the bird fly. I don't care what the people are thinking. 
I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. One more round won't get me down. 